if his lips are moving, he's lying. He'll steal from Put you. Put anything of value away because he will find it and he will steal it from you. Mental health and addiction are largely misunderstood. We often struggle in silence, but there is hope for a better life. I'm Trevor Steinhauser, and this is Stigmatized. Well, I'm thrilled to have uh, Holly and Eric Specht here today, two very special people, not only to me, but to our entire community. Um, You guys took probably the worst case scenario for any parent to go through and turn it into a organization that has helped thousands and thousands of people. So I just want to first thank you all for being here with me. Thank you. Our pleasure. So I guess first, I want to just get into your story and talk about Nicholas and how everything was. Just go through everything. Um, We're from Fort Thomas. Eric and I both grew up. We've been there all our lives. And uh, Nicholas was born in Fort Thomas and raised in Fort Thomas. He was a uh, typical kid. He was a good kid. He was healthy. He was happy, um, involved in a lot of things. We knew from the very beginning Nicholas was extremely family-oriented from way little, very, very young. We could tell. But he was, like I said, he was smart. He was involved in school. He went to a Woodville school, mostly, and uh, we never had problems. We never had any trouble with him. He was involved in ball and camping and fishing, and he took a few, you know, advanced classes and, you know, or was in some advanced classes as much as you can be in elementary school. And he was just, he was happy. He was very happy. We never had any problems. I was a very involved mom in PTA, imagine that. And <laughs> and the only two things that I ever knew that Nicholas got in trouble for, and when you're involved, you find out a lot. Two things. Once he got in trouble for having a milk drinking contest, and I remember the janitor coming up and telling me what he had done. And he says, Nick, if you throw up, you're cleaning it up. That was the one thing he did, and I think he got in trouble once for a snowball fight on the way home from school. And that was pretty much it, Mm -hmm. as far as being a young kid. Yeah. Yeah. I think we started seeing some changes in Nicholas between 7th and 8th grade, mostly 8th grade. I think we contributed a lot of that, that in elementary school, there was a lot of hands-on learning. And once, you know, he got... pretty much eighth grade and you're sitting there and you're not moving and you're just being, you know, taught all day long. I think he started losing interest a lot. We could see a big difference in his grades, a Mm -hmm. big difference. And then he kind of started, we noticed, started hanging around with some kids that uh, typically he wouldn't have been involved with, wouldn't have hung around with. And it made us a little nervous. So I think we started trying to investigate that and see what was going on. Mm-hmm. And this was and this was later on in eighth high school. Grade. So eighth it was grade. still around eighth grade. Eighth okay. grade, around eighth grade, we could definitely see a, a personality change. And heck, he was our first kid. He was our first kid. He was our, our our only son. I hear a lot of parents say, "So what is normal and what is not normal? What is normal bad behavior and what is not normal bad behavior?" If that makes any sense. Sure. So. Um, we were learning as we were going along, trying to figure out why why he was changing, what was going on. It it seemed like he he was developing more anger issues mm-hmm. as we as he as he went along. Uh, eighth grade, ninth grade, we were we were trying to figure out what the heck was going on with him. We where, where the heck is this anger coming from? Um, and we found out later, as much later in life that. He had been uh, molested, if, uh, actually a couple of times in his past, where when he was younger, um, by a, by actually a, a friend external to the family, you know, someone we didn't, someone he hung out with in in school. Uh, but you his, didn't even his know. Family. We had no idea. We had no idea. Very young, kindergarten, first grade. Oh. We didn't. We Very didn't young. have any idea. Mm. Once we found that out later, again, this is in his late yes. 20s when we found this mm-hmm. out, um, 
was that just all of a sudden it, it made things more clear to us. But as we were going through it, we we had no idea. And as he got into um, high school and later, um, it became clear that he was he was just going to he's having problems in school. Um, and, and in terms of drug use at that time, we really did. We knew he was smoking some pot or something, but that was all that he was um, that we knew of that he was using or doing. And to to our knowledge, it wasn't even very extensive or anything like that. But we knew he had he had tried pots. He started smoking, um, and then it, it, as he as we got away from high school and he was you know on his own out out of the house on his own, it seemed like things were almost better in a way with with our relationship. It's almost like there wasn't that constant source of irritation, you know, or or tension. So through, high, so through high school, were you guys, was a typical boy just separating himself or, or was he, was there tension oh, in your relationship? There was some tension both, as yes. well, but we were yes. trying to sort that out. We really didn't know. Uh, it, it wasn't as extreme as that extreme, but at the same time, we were wondering, is this, you know, a little bit over past normal or not? We just really couldn't tell for sure. And regardless, it was a... Um, an issue with, uh, you know, we had this tension and we're just trying to deal with it. Um, and it, it again, it, it, after high school and everything too, once we didn't have that daily interaction with him, it was like, like how I said before, he was very, uh, family oriented, close to us. Um, never was in a position where he was, um, you know, wanted to be totally, away from us or anything like that or alienated from the family or anything like that um you know again once we got out of high school so so we did um, notice a lot of motivation changes in high school what we thought of what would have been quote unquote normal would have been being involved or um wanting to do things wanting to be in some type of activities jobs i mean eric and i both had jobs when 13 14 years old sometimes two and three jobs each. We couldn't get him to keep a job. We just couldn't seem to motivate him. We did not know how to do it. Did he go to college? No, no he didn't go no. to college. Okay, so he was living at home this whole he time. Was yes, and he okay. did drop out. He dropped okay. out his of high school. junior year, yeah. and um, I know that about devastated Eric. It was very hard, you know, on us. Sure. Because by then, he had, just as a little guy, he repeated kindergarten twice because of a late birthday. And then he didn't pass one. So by now, he's quite old compared to a lot of the kids in his class. But he did go back and get his GED. Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. He did. Yeah. He, I think he did that as much for us as anything. Went back to school, you know, to get his GED. Because he knew, yeah, he did know. That it was like, goodness. He and, he, and he flew right through it. Yeah. I mean, he did fine. Do you think it was a self-esteem type i'm way behind you know give up kind of thing when he when he dropped out hard to say i'm sure that he had something to do with it <clears throat> excuse me i think that he um i think that he did do it partly for that reason i think it was as much too for us i really do i, I feel like it was important to him to to, to do it and i'm sure that maybe there was some self-esteem in there but it was as much to probably please us i guess and and also yeah. You have to maintain certain grade levels to be able to drive, you know, which they, that wasn't the case when we were kids. And so he wasn't able to drive. I didn't think, I don't think that was there. I've never even heard of that. Yes. You, if you. Is that a state thing? I don't know, to be honest with you. Okay. So it's like, ah, oh, the parents don't have to take the license away. The school does it. I don't mm. know if that's still the case or not. Right. But it was. So into those years after college, 20, 21, 22, what was going on? He was working. Um, he did mostly in the food, you know, restaurant industry kind of thing. He was uh, a sous chef at, at a restaurant. Um, actually, he, he cut his hand pretty bad at some point when he was working. And uh, it required uh, some, some pain medication. There was that, and somewhere around that time, he had gotten the kidney stones yeah. as well, and that required pain medication. 
We're not sure. We never really were clear on when he started um, using uh, pain pills, pills, but that's what happened. He, he, and now it could be that he was already on those and we didn't know, or we don't know if it was those two incidents that kind of got him going on it. But in any event, by the time he was in his um, mid to, to late 20s, he was using um, pain medication, opiates and everything. And as you know, that the, the especially in this area, those were freely available. I mean, it was really easy to get pain medication. Um, and then as time went on, changes were made with regard to prescribing and, and, and regulations and whatnot. And it became much more difficult. The pain medication was very expensive, became very expensive. And at some point after that, we we uh, found out that he was using um, heroin. He had, he'd gotten started with heroin. So... Again, during this period of time, during his late 20s, we still had contact with him, and he would come to family events, and we were, um, he would almost, I guess, daily or certainly every other day or so be talking with Holly in one way or another on his phone or, or whatever. Did you see um, any, as he as the, the pain pills started, did you start to see any signs? Oh, physical change, hygiene change. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Loss of jobs, his car. It was, yes. <laughs> what would he? Did he tell you? I mean, was he open about his struggle, or was he? Not really. Yeah, I mean, but most yeah. of us kind of try and yeah. hide yeah. it. So. Yeah. And um, I don't know when I knew. <laughs> I don't. I'm not really exactly sure when I knew. But Is there any history? In your family, Lots. either family Lots. with addiction or <laughs> all over. My dad health. had problems with alcohol. Yes, and yes. your side was pretty. Uh, oh, my mother's side is saturated. There's some on my father's side. Alcohol mostly. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. Uh, two things. It's amazing the genetic component Absolutely. to this, yeah. and you you hear it most every story you have in some way or another. It could go back generations. But there's normally some sort of trickle-down effect, and right. I think it's just fascinating. And and the other thing is many people, when they develop a pain pill, it comes truly from a surgery yeah. or some sort of injury, yeah. and they have no malice in their heart mm -hmm. to just start using pills because they make you feel funky. So. Yeah. Uh, I just I feel there's there's probably a little bit you know of that there for Nicholas and it's ju it's just it's a shame that they're so powerful that it can just quickly take you down yeah. you know yeah. right right yeah. we also have lost another relative to heroin you know a distant cousin so there's, when was that was that after after yeah so there's you know there's it's on my on my mother's side yeah. Uh, so when you found out, how did you find out who was using heroin? We um, received, well. we had been gone. It was on a Saturday night. We'd been mm -hmm. out to dinner. And I guess the next morning we realized, oh, we've been listening to the answering machine. And there was a, uh, a call from Hamilton County Police to please call that your son's the justice been, system. Yeah, yep. has been arrested. And uh, um, so, so I, I Eric called. called and. At some point, we're just, just you know talking to the lady, and uh, she, she said, "Well, he's he's being held," and and I, you know, of course, I asked why, and she said, "Well, he was pulled over for a uh, traffic stop, mm -hmm. and they were looking through his car, and they found some drug paraphernalia." And I said, "Oh, really?" I said, "What kind of drug paraphernalia?" And and you know, what do you mean? And she said, "Well, it's it's heroin." And uh, we, uh, I mean, I, I almost dropped the phone. I remember, I'm glad I was next to the counter. Yeah. Holly was, you did go to the floor, I, did. I think. I saw Eric grab the sink and yeah. I went to the floor. I remember Trevor being naive enough when, that I thought Nicholas would die when I found out I was using marijuana. I mean, I just was clueless. Yeah. Clueless. Yeah. And right that moment, it's like, our lives changed. Yeah, it definitely changed. It was a entirely different, you know, entirely different with regard to Nicholas after that point, from our perspective, naturally. You well, know? How old was he when that 
happened? 29. 29. He died very quickly from heroin use. His heroin use was very brief compared to so many people that we yeah. talked to. It took him quick. Yeah. So how did that, after 29, after the arrest, take me through the, the well, rest? Well, he, um, you have to help me here too, because, but he had numerous different, um, ultimately, uh, he had a couple of things in there with maybe some shoplifting, and he had, um, um, yeah. and again, at this point, he wasn't living with us. Uh, we didn't want to have, you know, we didn't want, we wanted to help in any way that we could uh, without giving him any money or anything like that. Um, and, and, and we did that. Um, there were many, uh, there was a lot of time there where he was going to different um, IOP programs and, and things like that. Intensive outpatient. Yeah. Yep, yes. intensive outpatient. Um, ultimately, he missed a court hearing, and he it ended up that he since he violated that probation or he because I think he was on probation at the time maybe for something. But I'm sorry, it's a little bit confused. But ultimately, because he missed that court date, they uh, put him in a 90 day recovery, three months uh, at, at Talbert House, and we were. Oh. We were relieved, actually, because now we knew where he was. We knew what he was doing. Safe. He was safe. And that kept him from catching a charge. If, yes. If he yes. goes to 90 days, yes. then we'll... Exactly. Okay. And exactly. we were still so green. We It's like, oh, he'll be fixed. Yeah. yeah. He'll be fixed. And I if, remember when he went to detox, oh, he'll be fixed. Yeah. In fact, when I share my story, I'll say, oh, he'll be fixed. We thought for sure he would be fixed. You're in uncharted territory anyway, and you're hanging your hat on the fact that this is going to do it. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's part of being naive, but yeah. it's your, you know, it's your child. Right. So I'm yeah. sure that that was. And after after 90 days, uh, uh, and when he when he got out, oh my gosh, oh god, he looked awesome. He looked terrific. It was the same Nicholas that we knew, and and. You know, his health was back. His smile was back. He was clean and, you know, and, and he just, it was, you know, just like the old necklace. Excited. Uh, yeah. And, and in the meantime. Enthusiastic about living, you know. And in the meantime, we thought we need to take care of ourselves. So I started going exactly. to Al-Anon, you know, more than Eric because of his job. But mm -hmm. started trying to understand all this and to be around other folks that were uh, other parents that were going through this. And boy, am I glad I ever did that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It helped a lot. And in fact, that started before Nicholas yes, was in, it did. went it to did. Talbert House. It was during some of that preliminary period after he was arrested for the... Uh, for the uh, paraphernalia. You reached out to some people. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Yep. And the we same old thing. I, I remember going to the Grateful Life Center for an Al Anon yep. meeting the first night and thinking, ah, oh, I, I will be fixed. Yeah. <laughs> They'll give me all the answer. And I'll never forget after the meeting, I stood up and like, well, what do I do? And I must have looked like a deer in the headlight because I lost it. And the leader came up and hugged me and so one step at a time, we can do this. And boy, did we, I got a lot of tools that really helped me tremendously. Mm, sure. Yeah. And if we're healthy and we're doing better, I think it, it helps your loved one. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm curious, did you, did you reach out for help and ask, did, did somebody give you advice on not giving him money? You know, oh, when, yes. when he was, yes. because that's a tricky, that yeah. is a tricky thing. And, and yeah. uh, kudos to you guys for sticking with it. Cause a lot of people, you know, yeah. again, that's your child, you buckle, you yeah. enable just out of the love of your heart. So I was just curious yeah. if you got that advice from we, somebody. How we to did. And it. part yeah. of the hard part was calling our family and saying, okay, you can feed Nicholas, you can take him places, but right now you can't give me money. 
And you Even can't just, leave him alone in your house. Yeah. That was hard. That was very hard because we're so extremely close. Yeah. And our family was wonderful. Yeah. Very receptive and understanding. Supportive. Supportive. And he knew that. I know we're jumping around. No, no, no. This is Nicholas what this is all about. That. We are so blessed, Eric and I've talked about this a lot. When our son died, he knew he was loved. And not everybody does. Right. Not everybody does. Was there any level of shame or embarrassment before you called your family? Yes. Or told your family, yeah. oh, yeah. you know, this is, yep. the, you know, talking oh, about we stigma. Knew we, were, we were the only family in Fort Thomas. <laughs> right, in your mind. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Nobody else in Fort Thomas. Sure. No. Yeah. Or but, never mind Fort Thomas, the, the, our family or anything. Oh, you yeah. know, we didn't want to yes. bring, you know. And, and, and it kind of harkens back to, you know, the way it was for us at home when growing up. My dad, again, he had a problem with alcohol. And uh, the last thing you wanted to do was let anybody know right. that you, know, you couldn't couldn't bring friends home or anything. It was the big secret. Um, and this was kind of a similar way. We kind of you know we're feeling that same way about it until we we finally realized that um, after we digested this and and it's it's like you know there's there's really no shame in talking at least to family members about it and. Ultimately, you begin to realize there's no shame in it, whatever, from our perspective. Um, and you can't do it alone. You can't, and you can't you do it alone. You cannot do it alone. Exactly. You've got to have a... You need to reach out and yeah. get help. Exactly. You're right. Yeah. But that is easier said than done. Yeah. I mean, it, it takes Absolutely. you that strength and a push to yeah. swallow whatever, you know, pride or, or whatever it is to, because mm -hmm. you're desperate yeah. and, and you, you, you can't drive yourself crazy because it's not healthy well we, what was we, the domino effect when we found out about nicholas a friend of mine had shared yeah, with us exactly. that say. her son went through the same journey with heroin and if she hadn't shared with eric and i we wouldn't have known what to do we called her when we found out about Nicholas, and with forty-five, within forty-five minutes, she was sitting in our living room, and sat and shared some cold, hard facts. That and facts she, like if his lips are moving, he's lying because he was in active addiction. Yeah, and uh, if his if his lips are moving, he's lying. He'll steal from put you. Anything of value away because he will find it and he will steal it from you. Uh, and she gave us. You know, the idea of, of trying not, don't give him money, give you know, him give money. him food or give him a bus pass or whatever, but don't give him any money. Um, she was great. And she, she, she was. She was really good. The whole what idea. What a relief. Just, you're getting education and tools, but just the relief of you're not the only one. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. And huge... as we found out that there's many more, but that stigma oh. is, it is, it's enormous. It's stifling. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. What next? You know, it, it was getting worse and he, he got, okay, so he got out of the Grateful Life Center. He's doing well. He well, was it, was it was Talbert House. It was actually, actually the Talbert, Talbert House. House. Okay. Yes. Yep. And, and it was terrific. Oh. He was just amazing. Were you able to go see him? Yes. During those 90 yes, days? Yes, we did, yes. yep. Okay. And you could see he was improving. I mean, really, not long after he was admitted there, he, uh, you know, within a few weeks, he looked like he was doing a whole lot better. And after 90 days, boy, he just looked terrific. And we tried to do our homework that we realized that when Nicholas came home, the priority was not for him to go out and get a full-time job. That was not the priority. The priority was us as a family and Nicholas to become healthy, for him to become um, educated and understand what he was going through. And that was not our priority. So Nicholas, to the best of our knowledge, when we, lo when we lost him, had been like, I saw it written in his book, like, five months and three days or something um sober. sobriety yeah yeah, yeah. and then uh, yeah so um, we um after three months uh in talbert house we invite him back into our home of course and as holly was mentioning we were fully supporting him in any way that we could and in august or in july we had a birthday party for him 
and is that right? Am I he right? He turned about that? 30. Yeah. And this was what year? That was in July. 13, this is 2013. Yeah, 13. He turned 30. Yeah. Um, when Nicholas, Nicholas um, and his girlfriend, two years before he passed away, had gotten pregnant. And it's kind of ironic what you think is the worst thing in the world that could ever happen to you until you go through different levels. <laughs> anyway, so that was huge. That was that was very hard on us because we knew it was not a good situation. We knew he was, um, at that point, not in a good situation with his girlfriend, the living conditions, the job, the pills, and how they're going to be parents. So it took some uh, real thinking on my part to realize that uh, we need to stop clipping angry and work with these kids and and see what we, we have to see what we can do to make this work. So we did, and we flipped everything around. And we started becoming really involved with them and realizing that we were going to be grandparents. We found out it was going to be a little girl, and um, in the uh, seventh month, uh, they invited me to go to the hospital with them for a sonogram, and I was absolutely ecstatic. I was so excited. Yeah. Got to the hospital and went in the back. They start the sonogram process, and um, I knew by the look of the technician something was wrong picked up a phone, she called a doctor, and she said, we're not hearing a heartbeat. And, you know, the room, the air went out of the room. And I'll never forget his girlfriend's eyes. I will never forget seeing her eyes. And within a few minutes, we found out that uh, baby Leah was gone. She had died. Mm. And I believe, and I think Eric does, that was the beginning of the end for Nicholas. I really, really believe that with all my heart. And I think what maybe Eric was trying to recall mm -hmm. was the night that we lost Nicholas. Yes, it was that night. Yeah. Um, Nicholas had gone to his um, sponsors for a meeting, and uh, before he left, he said, um, Mom, I'm not feeling too good, and I'm just not feeling very good. He didn't mean physically. <laughs> and I kicked into what I always privately called my cheerleader mode, you know. And he said, well, I'll be back. I'll be back at 9.30 after Mikey's. Well, 9.30 came, and Nicholas got home, and Eric was in the family room, and just typical stuff. He seemed, Nicholas seemed fine. And he said that, uh, well, I met Mikey's three-day-old baby girl tonight. So his sponsor's wife had a little girl. And you could just tell the, how hard that was for Nicholas. So this was at 9.30, and he said, I think I'm going to get a bath. I said, okay, hon, go ahead. I said, I'm going to go upstairs. Dad's watching TV. I went upstairs, and then I remembered I had bought him because he's had such a hard time sleeping uh, melatonin. Mm -hmm. And I came back downstairs, and he was in the bathroom. I said, Nicholas, I called him Pickle, Pickle. This melatonin's out here, hon. Try it. It'll, it might help you sleep tonight. He goes, I will. He goes, I love you, Mom. I said, I love you too, Pickle. And uh, two hours later, I woke to hearing um, Eric screaming our son's name. It was uh, 1130. Yeah, like Holly said, it was in the other room watching TV and, and the... Uh, Ruger. I might, have, I might have snoozed off. I don't recall, but I... The dog, his his dog, his Nicholas's dog, dog um, was pushing up against my leg, and I could tell there was something wrong. And uh, he he was like pushing up again, and just it was different. He'd never done that before. And so I I got up and I went looking for Nicholas, and he was still in the bathroom, and the the door was locked, and and um, I I was calling for him and didn't hear anything and so you know it was it got pretty frantic pretty quick tried to kick the door down and you know just crash the door down and and um and finally i had to i ran down and got a crowbar and was able to 
uh, run back up and, and get the door open. And in the meantime, you know, Holly was downstairs and it, it called the, the, you know, nine one one. And, uh, I was able to get the door open and, and he was on the other side on the floor and he just real blue. And, and, um, he was in a position where I couldn't really get the door open as a bit. He was like against the door and, it, and the other closet door was wedged against him. We couldn't get in there. And, uh, so, I mean, and th they came and it was, um. Yeah, they 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 administered some Narcan, but uh, it it didn't help him, and we lost him. So um, we, uh, it, and it was just, um, yeah, of course, it was devastating. So, and then moving forward from that, though, um, he it, it went to the emergency room and then intensive care, and we we found out that he had uh, signed up for. Uh, to be an a, a organ donor and um in that process of of holding him um keeping him alive really for that that process and we we realized he was gone it took i think maybe a couple of days i didn't for, realize yeah. it until saturday yeah yeah so but Still, we we could tell what was going. You know that we were going to go through this process with the organ donation, and um, of course, we're very proud of that. But the the I guess the thing is that even before, um, certainly before Nicholas was out of the hospital, um, my brother-in-law um, was talking to Holly and, and and said, "I I've got this idea." Um, and I won't do this unless you think it's a good idea, but what do you think about this? And he, he, uh, started in KYH heroin. And, um, he had the idea to do that and how to put the website together and everything. And I, I don't know how many hours he put into it. It did just like an unbelievable, he must've worked. I know 100, 120 hours given his own, own job and, and what else he was doing with getting the website started. Um, but that's how that got started. And, and that was pretty much instant. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. We be yeah. I believe we believe it was a God moment because that logo just popped into his brain. Mm. Chris is a graphic art designer, and so it just came to him. So – like Eric said, Nicholas wasn't even gone yet out of yeah. the ICU, and yeah. we had a logo. Yeah, we had a logo already, and uh, within uh, two weeks, we were on the front of the Cincinnati Enquirer. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's it's just been. I think our family drug me around the first year. Um, it's and it hasn't stopped. And he saved several lives. Yeah, right? I always his, say yeah, that there. And whenever we speak or whatever, um, two noble things came from his death, and one was that there are five people living lives now that they wouldn't have been living. And uh, NKY hates heroin. It started, and it has become a family affair. Yeah. Everyone of yeah. you know, pretty much all of your family yeah. is involved, and I know Holly, your parents I, I've met, and you know they're wonderful. Your dad's a great, a great guy. I've, he's he toted me around to a few meetings. I was getting into my recovery and was you know, trying to get my intervention and coaching stuff, and and I was I was sort of nervous why it wasn't picking up. And mm -hmm. anyway, he almost insisted that I go to some of these meetings. So and he's just such a respected. Yeah person so i'm just i'm sorry yeah. that you guys had to go through that it's just amazing but um and this like you said took off really quick and so tell us a little bit about what you do with the organization on a weekly basis or what, what is there a focus to a certain well, demographic or at one point holly had been to the hospital with nicholas and realized that the, the there was an addiction issue there, uh, at least with opiates, and asked the, you know, well, where do I go? What do I do? You know, and, and the staff, one of the nurses 
wrote some names down on a napkin and, and gave it to her and and it did help but we realized early on that there was there may be resources out there but no one knows about them there's no central place to to find out about what resources are available or advice on what to do or what can we you know what should i do so our focus became early on what can we as a group try to do to help others that are in the same situation that we found ourselves in and we didn't know what to do and uh, what to do about it or how to help so we've you know, that was a great focus with the with the with the website and with um uh, we 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 created a resource guide that is over what forty thousand now? Forty six. Yeah, forty six thousand. Fourth, so the fourth fifth, edition, we fifth just edition. kicked it off fifth edition. yesterday. I yeah. can't tell you how many hundreds yes. of those things that I've given out to yeah. people, yeah. and they just love them. Yeah. I mean, it's so comprehensive through every type of support and service, and it's yeah. really yeah. dynamite. It's yeah. gone from 20-some-odd pages to 133, I think. Yeah. And it's no advertising, nope. no, you know, none of that yeah. stuff. It's just exactly. straight content yeah. and service-oriented phone numbers, email addresses, yeah. and, yeah. and yes. all across, you know, Kentucky. not only this state, but Indiana, yeah. Ohio, yes. and, and maybe yes. even yes. beyond. But, yep. exactly. yeah, you know, there's, you know, posts on Facebook all the time that, you know, you, you that the money – that you get, you do a lot of different things. Exactly. You provided linens, I remember, to the yes. whole, was that the Florence, the Women's Brighton uh, we've Center? We've done the Brighton Center. We've done the Healthy Newborn House. We've done Grateful Life. We've done the new RTC building. So we've done, gosh, With that quite service, a few that thousand pounds yep. of uh, bedding and things like that. Yep. We've provided many, many things for the newborn house, the moms and the babies, We've donated lots of money for um, naloxone kits. We actually even helped our neighbors in Ohio once when they when we read in the paper they were running short. We help with Casey's Law. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. help with assessments for Casey's Law. You talk about what what we do on a daily basis. Yeah. Holly's on the phone almost. We used to be a little bit more than now, but it is at least multiple times a week yeah. where she's talking to mothers that are in that same situation that she was in, and it's and it's quite a bit in support of uh, Casey's law. Which is uh, what else have we done? We've gone to to, to um, downstate to help with uh, Frankfurt. Um, ed, 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 yeah. Well, well, Frankfurt. Yeah, that was one thing we did do early on. Uh, went to Frankfurt to try to get. Uh, our legislators to understand that uh, really the thing that sticks in my mind in, in Northern Kentucky, there were only four detox beds for, for women in all of Northern Kentucky. Not, not only places, but beds. Yeah. For, beds, just wow. single beds. Exactly. And so there were very few resources available for people in our, uh, this, it was still kind of new to the state or not. I can't say it was new, but it, you know, the, the, the tidal wave, if you will, it had happened. It was still, people were realizing how bad it was, was and getting worse. And, um, so yeah, we've had, we've, we've done some that way, but a more one-on-one too with, with Holly though, she's very much involved with Casey's law and, uh, uh education of judges, uh, um, uh, just spreading the word across the state about what you can do with Casey's law. It really does give you an option to, uh, as a parent or someone, uh, you don't have to be a parent. You can be anyone uh, the, that he has a friend that's in or a loved one that's in uh, going through addiction and are not in any, any position to help themselves. Um, gives- in Charlotte Weathington, who yes. started that, yes. who I know you're very close yes. with. Yeah. I'm gonna. I want to get her on yeah. here to talk about Casey's all because yeah. it's so yeah. it's groundbreaking. It is absolutely. Yeah, Holly, can you tell us what Casey's law is? Well, I'll just do like a real b- brief explanation. Oh, sure. Sure. Uh, Casey's law is a wonderful law that either you, Trevor, or Eric, or myself can go if we have a loved one or a friend that we think is an endanger to themselves due to addiction, any form of addiction, we can help save people even though they're not able to know that they that they can be saved. 
They're not in a place where they can think clearly. So we can help them. We can help them. And by helping them, we petition. We go to the court. We go to our local court, whatever county you're in. You can, Or you can go online to Casey's Law and download a petition. Fill that out completely about the person that you're wanting to help. Take it down to the court like Campbell County or anyone, and they will help you. They'll help you understand it. We will help you understand. There's a lot of volunteers out there that will help you go through this process. So it's very simple. There's a lot of um, misconceptions. There's a lot of rumors. People think it's going to cost them a lot of money. It doesn't. There's a lot of free available help out there. So we fill out the paperwork. We take it to the courthouse. The clerk sends it to the judge. The judge looks at it and says whether or not they feel the info- that the information that's provided is enough proof that this person is either in danger to themselves or to others. And then if he approves that, he or she, the judge, then we subpoena the person that we're trying to help. And another rumor is that they'll be, then they'll have this on their record. That's not true. It's 100% private. No one ever knows that someone's been Casey Lawled. So the, you know, kind of in a quick nutshell, we end up getting this person before a judge and the judge pretty much says, okay, Trevor, you can either go and get help. We found you a rehab. We found you a detox. If you're not ready, sorry, you got to sit in jail and think about it for a little bit. And so many parents and, and loved ones are worried about their loved ones sitting in jail and as I often tell, I've told many moms this when I hear they'll hate me, they'll be mad at me. I said, I'd do anything in the world for my son to be alive to hate me right now. Yeah. So there so is powerful. hope. There is hope. There's help. And Casey's Law is, is a wonderful program. You can get the more specifics sure. if you go online. And a, a couple of things. How long does it, from the time this, the petition is filled out to contact with the an action with the person you when i go down and file if i went down and file today i have to have a court date and my doctor's evaluations all within two short weeks and it's rarely even that long so within a week or days you can have your loved one in treatment yeah and i've heard charlotte talk and i know you helped her immensely but you, you see you see pictures of her you know down in frankfurt you know and, and uh, other places. She went to. Did she go to Washington? Did she have to go to Washington. I believe yeah. so. Yeah. yeah, she's been to California even yeah. and spoke and, about. And this. there's and there's yes. pictures of her by herself. By herself. Fighting in the middle of all these, you know, politicians yes. for this because she lost a son as well. Yes. That was yes. her impetus for doing this. Yes. And it, you know, I can't imagine the stigma around that. Yeah. Trying to get that. You know, you got a, a group of, you know. Grumpy exactly. lawyers uh, that that run the show, and, and for her to relentlessly yeah. petition and and go in front of these people to get that done, it was that was also groundbreaking. Oh, oh for yes, sure. I believe it's been. I think Casey's been gone sixteen yeah. years now, and all alone she did this yeah. with with her mother in the shadows, always yeah. there supporting her. Right and. Uh, it was groundbreaking. And still, though, people are confused on how it works. Right. But, but, we, but we, we all keep doing what we're doing. We keep and doing it. We, all we can do is our best. And yep. we'll put Absolutely. all your information, uh, email, all, if that's okay, Northern Kentucky Hits Heroin, all websites and Absolutely. social media, all Absolutely. there, as well as. Uh, and of course, Casey's, Casey's Law was so. also all over our website and in our guide. Yeah. Right. And that guide is tremendous. So <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you guys have your big fundraiser is a yeah, 5K, 5K race yeah. every summer. You talk about our family, um, and the um, it is def obviously a family uh, organization. But uh, just a few months after Nicholas passed, and we had we had um, started NKY Hates Heroin, um, Holly's cousin calls, and hot, when they were little kids, they they had you know, hung out around family events and that kind of thing when I mean little kids, but not really even had much contact with her in the last 30 years. Well, she calls up and she says, uh, she lives in Independence. And she says, I've, she's a self-professed couch potato. I mean, she does, <laughs> she's never organized anything in her life. Calls us and says, uh, we should do a 5K. 
because you can you can do pretty well with a 5k and that could that could really we could do a lot with what we could get from a 5k the earnings from a 5k and we got to talking about it and boy that seems like a big a big you know that's a big undertaking and coming from a person that's not a 5k or not a 5k never run a race in her life never walked any i mean she's she's a couch potato and she but she got turned on by this and she went and talked to uh um city of independence uh, you know the government the city she talked to uh simon kenton high school which is where we we have it um, got got that all organized and straightened out with the school and all the insurance requirements that are needed and and, and the police department and all the support that they that they give us um, and it's almost all because of her relationship that she developed with all those people that she had didn't know them from Adam you know before she started and um, she really really has done a terrific job we've both for two years. Uh, running, I think we've gotten the best um, 5K in, in Northern Kentucky for charitable 5K, or mm-hmm. forget what it was. Nonprofits. Nonprofit yeah. 5K. Yeah. So it's um, we've done well with it, and it does. It funds us through the whole year. It's the um, only event we hold. Right. So that's the yeah. only thing that we do. Any other things are gifts from folks, donations, fundraisers that they have, whether it be anything from a beauty salon to the loss of a loved one where, you know, our names will be on for the memorial. Mm-hmm. So people are entrusting us more and more and more. And we're very blessed. And we do not take that lightly. Yeah. And you go out to Simon Kenton on that day and it's, it's such a hopeful, yeah. positive, emotional environment, yeah. you know, cause you got you know, Q102 or, you know, the radio yeah. station that's there and they got music going and everybody's congregating, but they, everybody brings pictures yes. framed yes. or unframed of, of loved ones that have been lost and families, you know, really a tribute to you guys about, you know, just the lives that you've helped save. And, um, yeah, it's just, and then to see thousands of people yeah. walking in a community in a in an area where this is a very stigmatized yeah. very much subject and uh yeah. just issue yeah. and and you guys are just trailblazing a way to to chip yeah. chip away at that yeah, and exactly. uh, i just think i think it's tremendous and yeah, yeah. Pr- probably more than anything um it's the stigma that we do. every time we try to speak about it or or, or have any kind of contact with individuals one on one it's it's the stigma. It's the stigma that just really does get in the way of someone who's addicted and maybe wants to get uh, get cleaner. You know, uh, they 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 a lot of times only they just feel like the lowest form of life many times because of what addiction has done to them and what they've had to do to just make it through another day. Um, and, and it's all that stigma that surrounds it. And it's, it's just breaking through all that. Yeah. Not that you're not responsible for your actions, not that you're mm-hmm. not responsible as a, as a, uh, any person that, that is stealing or whatever they're doing. I mean, it, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, using drugs or not, uh, but it still helps people with that stigma is what gets in the way of people understanding how to get that recovery and that you as a as a person that's addicted you're you deserve that recovery you deserve that help and, and there's hope there's hope for it absolutely yeah. there's hope for it I, I think they feel safe when they see us with a t-shirt yeah. on or oh. a wristband on or written yeah. on our car license plate or our bumper and we get approached Trevor, and it's all really become the time that, that all that, the time. It's like a beacon of hope. You know, I always yes. see it on the back of your dad's yes. truck oh, when yes. I yes. when I when I see him, and it is. It's I mean, it, people flock to it, and it's and it's a safe place, and and you're doing what people did for you in the beginning, Absolutely. going to those Alana meetings, but it's on just such a huge level, and and you're so brave to you know I can't imagine how many hundreds of times you've told this story and it never gets easier i'm sure but that's immediately from a big loss like that you have chosen to keep nicholas's legacy alive through 
through doing this. And I just, I think, you know, your whole family is amazing and, and everything that you do uh, is truly remarkable in the, in the face of, in the face of something like this. So I want to thank you for being here. Thank you. And everything that you guys do, um, and this, the name the name of this show is stigmatized. So yes. it, it <laughs> is a bug in my crawl, and it's the, the main goal of this show is to bust this thing up. And it's a it's a tall mountain we got to climb, but eventually, you know, with you know, you're doing, and hopefully this show will do. It's just letting people know that you know th this is a real thing. I mean, addiction is a real thing. It's it's a behavior, you know, whether you want to call it a disease or a behavioral issue, but it's also a family issue. Very much. Absolutely. Whether it's, uh, you know, the, the uh, genetic component, yeah. but it takes families on the ride. Exactly. And, you, and people got to know, because just like you, they think they're on an island. I, mean, I am the only person exactly. going through this right now. And it's just not the case. It is but, not true. But so many people yes. will never speak up, and it and it comes to losing someone, or they just the shame can kill you. Yes, it can crush your soul. It can crush your family soul. And as a person that's in the in the depths of hell, because at the end, now I'm I'm in recovery, but at the end, this is not fun. We're not having fun. We're staying well. You know, trying not to be sick. And, it, and it's just a horrible existence. So, yeah. So anyway, I've got tremendous respect for you guys and everything you do. And I just want to thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening. I want to thank everyone that makes this show possible. Production by Gwen Sound. Artwork by Neltner Smallbatch. And photography by John Willis and Lindsay Steinhauser. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Visit our website for more information at stigmatizedpodcast.com.